British 1480. Everybody okay with that? We are on the second journey, and uh, it's Paul and Barnabas. John Mark had gone back a chapter earlier. They have uh, not had great uh, acceptance in uh, the cities where they've been. They have by some people, but others have gotten upset with them and uh, drove them out of Antioch of Pisidia in 1350. And uh, they fled from uh, persecution and an attempt to stone them in Iconium in 146. So they go on to the region of Lystra and Derby and keep preaching the gospel. That's the thing about them. You may run them out of town, but you won't shut them up. They're just going to go to some other town and keep spreading the same news. Uh, That's making everybody upset uh, for them doing that. So would somebody read... Well, what happens here in Lystra, uh, kind of a uh, topsy-turvy sort of a time, in 8 to 20. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. Then he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to see a, to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garments to the gates, and w- wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, saying, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. How far? 20. <clears throat> but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Okay. So in Lystra, he encounters this man in verse 8. Uh, what do you know about this man? He's lame from birth. And what more? Now, what more do you know about his physical condition? He never walked. He never walked, and what else does it tell you? He had no strength in his feet. Does that seem like he's kind of um, really wanting to make sure you get the point? <laughs> you know, any one of those three, I think, would have given us the idea. But with all three of those, he really can't walk. He's never been able to walk, and he doesn't have strength enough in his feet to walk. Uh, so this is a hopeless case. He's listening to Paul, and Paul looks at him. He sees that he has faith to be made well, but that, that verb to be made well is the verb normally translated to be saved. But, but it, it's used for both physical healing and spiritual salvation. To be made well is probably a good translation, but remember, it's the very same verb that would be used to be saved. 
So it's kind of got a double sense, and you see that there's kind of a double meaning behind the healings. There's signs to show the spiritual ability the Lord has. So Paul tells him to stand up on his feet, and he leaps up and starts walking, which is amazing, and the crowd see it, and what do they think? Yes. They make a mistake in, in this, don't they? What's their mistake? They see the man as being God instead. As being gods instead of seeing God's power behind it. Yes. So they think that the people God's using as his instruments are actually the source of the power. Do, do people ever make that mistake today? You know, looking at somebody, maybe even a preacher or an elder or somebody... And, and thinking that they are great when it's really the Lord that's great, it's his word that's great. It's, it's very common to make that kind of confusion. And so they think they're gods. <laughs> and, and which gods do they think they are? Yeah, Zeus and Hermes, two of the, the great uh, Greek gods. And what do they want to do? In fact, what do they start doing? Sacrificing for me. Absolutely. They bring an oxen to the priest. We're gonna we're gonna offer sacrifices to these gods. Now, it might help you to know that there was a local legend told by a Roman poet historian named Ovid. Is that his name? I'm not sure. I never know, do know all these ancient people's names. But, but this is widely reported uh, that there was a, a couple, the legend, named Bossus and Philemon. They were an elderly couple who gave a banquet in their little cottage to two men who were actually the gods Jupiter and Mercury, but that had come down disguised as ordinary people. Well, God blessed this couple greatly because these two men had been refused hospitality by a thousand people that were destroyed by them. And these couple became priests in the temple and they were honored greatly and, and all this sort of stuff. That's the legend in this area. That would explain a lot why they wouldn't want to make that same mistake again. You know, they'd grown up hearing about Bosses and Philemon and how much they were honored for, for honoring these two ordinary men, so-called, that were really gods. They're, they're not going to make, make the, miss the chance to become the next Bosses and Philemon. So, that's, uh, that's, uh, that helps you kind of just see why they might have been more ready to do that. They're actually so excited, they're not even speaking Greek. They're speaking their native Lyconian language, which evidently Paul and Barnabas don't understand and aren't maybe quite on top of what's happening as quickly as they would have otherwise been. But it finally dawns on them what they're trying to do and what do Barnabas and Paul do? Try to stop them. Absolutely. They tear their robes, they rush out into the crowd, and they're like, we're just like you! You know, don't do this. We are wanting you to turn from these vain things, worship of men and other things, to the living God, the one that made the heavens and the earth, and he goes on to tell them about the greatness of God. So Paul doesn't like the idea of receiving God-like honors. He's quite dismayed and horrified that they would, they would 
exalt him like a god. That's not what he wanted at all. And even at that, apparently, verse 18, it wasn't easy to persuade them not to do it. You know, they were so convinced they were gods that even with Paul and Barnabas saying, no, no, please don't, they still wanted to. Comments and questions through verse 18. Cass. Um, in verse 10, it says, and with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet, and he leaps and walk. Do you think there's any significance that he like, may have said it loud? Maybe so. I mean, I would say the loudness might be more authoritative. You know, this is not, why don't you see if you can walk? You know, if, if you weren't sure you could do it, you might kind of say it under your breath and kind of see what happened. But if you're saying it in a loud voice, it's like, you know this is what's going to happen and you're commanding it, stand up and walk. And he does. So I think it's a little bit more impressive and shows more confidence. Why does it even mention his faith before he healed him? Now, there's several places where there's obviously no faith on the part of the, the healees. You're right, there are. But commonly there was faith, and maybe you draw attention to that because the spiritual salvation certainly takes faith. So when they did have faith, it might be appropriate to draw attention to it. That, that'd be what I'd say about that. There, there's this, I don't know that this is, uh, you know, totally the reason either. But I'll tell you something that's impressive in this story, and it's what I was going to bring out sooner or later anyway. Does this remind you of anything? <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> There's a very close parallel to this story. What is it? When Peter killed the guy in front of the temple. Exactly. Acts 3. You might look back there. The parallels are tighter than you might realize. Um, which is kind of common between, as we've said, Peter in the first half and Paul in the second half. But look at 3-2 and look at 14-8. What's parallel in those? Yes. Look at 3-5 and 14-9. Yes, exactly. Look at 3.8 and 14.10. Yes, exactly. Look at 3.2 and 14.13. Yes, by a temple gate, which is kind of interesting. Then look at 3.16 and 14.9. Yeah, the emphasis on faith. Now, in three, it was the faith of Peter and John. Here, it's the faith of the lame man. And look at 3.12, verses 14.15. Yes, emphasizing what point? It's not us. You know, the crowd was thinking they did it in their own power, and the preacher redirects the focus back to God as the true one that did it. I think those are enough close parallels 
that this is kind of designed to fit. You know, here's the thing. The two events were essentially parallel. But they're even more parallel by the points that Luke draws out. He wouldn't have to mention some of those points. The fact that he mentions them, I think he's trying to draw our attention to the fact that Paul does something just like Peter did. And maybe he mentions the faith to, to give that correspondence as well. I don't know. Those things are impressive to me. And I think indicates some real design behind how the stories were constructed. Other comments and questions through 18? I have one more thing. Sure. Um, in verse 19... When it says that they stoned him and supposing him to be dead, do you think he faked it or do you think he was knocked out? Or I think he was knocked out. That's what I think. You know, it's like, what would happen if they started throwing stones at you? That'd be pretty easy to get knocked out, don't you think? You know, a good one lands right on your head. That'd, that'd probably take care of you. It's amazing he didn't die. I mean, that's what normally happens. You know, I don't know if God supernaturally preserved him or revived him or if they knocked him out and they just didn't keep going because they thought he was dead and, you know, after a night he was able to come to. I don't know. Pretty amazing. Do you see some amazing things about this? Who was it that stirred up these crowds to stone Paul and Silas? Paul and Barnabas, right? Where were Antioch and Iconium? Antioch, Iconium was about 40 miles away. They walk or ride animals. They don't take cars. Antioch was about 130 miles away. What does that tell you about these guys? They really don't like Paul. <laughs> they really don't like him. You know, they go to great lengths to try to just drive him out of everywhere he was going to go. And that's, that's being pretty fanatical if you ask me. You know, there's a few politicians I don't like, but I wouldn't walk very far to drive them out. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing, Kevin. And, um, well, I forgot what I was going to say. That's okay. So, um, you know, the stoning here, does that strike you as odd, given the context? They were about to sacrifice to them. Yeah! This is like, really a quick change, don't you think? To go from worshiping them to stoning them in one fell swoop? I'm wondering if maybe they were a little disappointed to find out they weren't gods, and then kind of felt stupid, and it was easier to persuade them to stone them. But still, you just can't trust popularity. You'll be a god one day and stone the next, you know. <laughs> okay. Same day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I may not take a day. I wonder why Barnabas wasn't stoned. That's a good question. You know, Paul seems to have been the uh, chief speaker in verse 12, so maybe that's uh, what they're thinking. Now you remember him. Yeah, now I remember it. The Jews are kind of like how Paul used to be. They're zealous to get rid of Christianity. Well, and does this remind you of anything specific about Paul? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was on the stoner's side back then. Now he knows what it feels like. You know, poor guy, but really, wow. Paul took a trip up to Damascus to do exactly what they're trying to do. 
You're exactly right. Yeah. So he went. That's a good point. He went to uh, great lengths. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but I like that. Uh, to to do the very same thing. You know, you, you get what's coming to you. Now, do you remember? Do you, do you realize that that this area, you know, these cities around here, it are, is probably the area that Paul is referring to when he writes to the churches of, of Galatia. There's a little debate about that, but I take the South Galatia theory, and that would be these churches down here. I think that's more likely. Do you remember one of the things that he wrote in Galatians that just might be kind of a reference back to this? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 17, that he, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Do you suppose those could be some of the scars he got from things like the stoning? You know, I, I, I thought that the brand marks of Jesus probably referred to scars. Uh, so maybe he got some of them. That's uh, Galatians 6, 17, second to the last verse in Galatians. I was assuming the 30, 30 last or the... Those two. <laughs> 30, 30 died, yeah. And the beating with rods as well. Yeah. He's had lots of... I bet he's scarred on top of scars. <laughs> you know. Well, can you imagine when he comes back to these cities on his next journey, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> comes back to him on this same journey. Here yeah, on the way back through the room. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, wow. Some guys you just can't kill. That's got to be frustrating for those poor persecutors. <laughs> you thought you had him finished off. I don't know. I, 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 the text does not say that that he had some kind of supernatural intervention. But may, but but I, it doesn't say that. Uh, you know, I don't know if there was some kind of preservation of the Lord or some kind of strengthening. Um, but at any rate, he's still alive. They were wronging about him again. Obviously, the Lord wasn't done with him. You're exactly right. But he didn't prevent him from being stoned. You're exactly right. <laughs> Ouch. It's like, uh, well, you know, tomorrow you're going to go down to Derby, but today you're going to be stoned. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's just, it's just amazing to think about being where Paul's at. Wow. I can't imagine making people mad enough that they've come 130 miles to throw stones at you. Wow! You know, what would you think if you, uh, I don't like this terminology, but but we'll just use it. You know, you hire a preacher, and he comes in, and, and people where he's been 130 miles away, you know, come over to try to kill him. You probably think, thought you made the wrong choice. Should <laughs> 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 have told us about this guy. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's just, that's a remarkable thing. Other thoughts on any of this story? He doesn't give a whole lot of detail about him in this situation. It just leaves you wanting, wanting to know more. You know, what? where were the others and when did they find him and did they carry him off thinking he was dead or were they trying to revive him or... <laughs> You know, there's a lot of uh, details. You, know, you can imagine their, their thoughts about that. And I don't know. You're exactly right. But while they stood around, 
Yeah, it says that rather matter of factly. In fact, you? you almost get the impression they're standing around there and I'll say, he gets up and leaves. You wonder if they at least gave him a hand? Yeah, I don't know. That's that. It would be so interesting to have been back there and been a part of that crowd. I don't know if you want to whisk him out as quick as you can so they don't find out he's revived, so they don't come back and try to finish him off. Yeah, they still wait until the next day. Yeah, well, it may have taken a little while for him to get strong enough to walk. <laughs> I don't know. It's amazing. I mean, as we alluded to earlier, you know, this is just one of many incidents for Paul where he's had life-threatening experiences. I mean, he has them rather repeatedly. I'll tell you something else. You probably thought about this. But in 2 Timothy 3, Paul makes reference to Timothy knowing about his persecutions and sufferings that he suffered back on his first journey. And we think, and everything indicates Timothy was from this city of Lystra. I have no idea if Timothy was one of those standing around him or whatever, if he saw it, but you know he knew about it. (laughs) You know... And on the very next journey, you know, a couple of years later, Paul comes back through, and Timothy goes with him. And, and I really am of the conviction that Timothy was probably Josh's age. You know, when he and that's just, wow. Almost at any age, you know, unless you're 90, and, you know, figuring not to live to 91, would you accompany a guy like Paul, knowing this is what happens when you're... You know, it could happen to you too. Really, it takes a lot of guts to serve the Lord back then. And we just need a lot more courage. Other thoughts? Do you think he might have had a sneak back in his day and not get stoned again? <laughs> well, I suspect he didn't to uh, blow a trumpet as he came in. <laughs> I suspect he kept a low profile. That'd be my guess. I don't know. I would have. But, I mean, we'll see. He goes right on to the next city and makes many disciples and then goes back through these cities and strengthens the disciples. So he's certainly living on the edge. All right, would somebody read 21 to 28? And after they preached the gospel of that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord, whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to... Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they began a long and they spent a long time with the disciples. So, in the end of 20 he goes to Derby, preaches the gospel to that city, and makes many disciples in 21. So, clearly, he's not going, you know, incognito in Derby. He's, he's, you know, preaching openly and making a lot of disciples. And then he returns to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Looks to me like he's kind of retracing his steps 
and revisiting those brethren, there's a lot of value in follow-up work with new Christians, trying to strengthen them, trying to build them up and fortify them against various threats to their faith. And he warns them, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I believe he's a good man to say that, don't you? You know, he's felt some of those. And, uh, you know, living the life of the kingdom is not a picnic. You know, it's going to be through tribulation. They're going to be tough times. And and thank God we are not at this point very likely to get stoned. But if we think we can serve God and everything will be smooth and there won't be any problems, there won't be any heartaches, there won't be any tough things we have to do, we just kind of, kind of coast on in. It's not true. That is not what the Lord has said. You know, and we've got to quit dreaming for a comfy, cushy Christianity and be ready for it to be tough. That's the way it's going to be. And maybe not tough like they had it, but he says be ready for it to be through many tribulations. And then they appoint elders in every church, prayed with fasting. You know, you can tell by the fact that they fasted as they prayed, appointing elders was serious business for them. This is not something they do on a whim. But if our life is just one big round of parties and having fun and making sure we never miss a meal, you know, what would we have thought about appointing elders with fasting? You know, you can see in the early church they were more focused on spiritual activities and not so focused on satisfying their every desire. And uh, then they went back through and finally came back to Antioch, gathered the church together, and reported there, I love this in verse 27, all the things that God had done with them, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, that he wrote, he wrote of their missionary report when they come back is God and the things that he had done. They don't report it as the things they have done. Comments and questions?
chapter 15.